Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. The Watch is set in a light fantasy setting known as the Clan Lands. It takes place during a dark and horrific war between the now united ten clans who live there and an invading force known only as the Shadow. The Shadow is a powerful and insidious enemy that is able to enter the minds of its opponents and slowly turn them to its side. For reasons unknown, the Shadow is able to more easily influence the minds of men and has turned a great deal of the clan soldiers against itself. With most of its fighting force crippled or worse, the clans have joined together and begun enlisting new warriors to defend their homes. Women and non-binary femme people who seem better able to resist the Shadow's hold have been recruited, trained, promoted, and formed into a new order, the Watch. So my character's name is Erdo. Uh, she is using the Bear playbook and is from Clan Morsh, which is the uh, traitors. And she's a trans woman with a strong face and a generally gentle demeanor. Erdo is a corporal and our group's commanding officer. For her gear, she wears a patchwork of chainmail and padded leather. The great deal of her armor is the scraps of comrades' armor that was not completely ruined in battle. My character's name is Teddy. Uh, the playbook that I'm using is the spider. Teddy's rank is warden, and she's Erdo's right hand. She is a trans woman, and she has a professional slash pragmatic uh, demeanor pretty much to a fault. It's sort of like Dr. House, but make it fantasy, where she's like yeah. <laughs> very good at healing people, but she has no bedside manner. Her sword, it is a concealable, retractable blade attached to where her right forearm used to be. So the clan that I picked is Thaisen, desert-dwelling equestrians and herders. And the primary animal that we heard is giant spiders. <laughs> the Thaisen clan very much values strength, very Spartan in that regard. And so if you're going up against something like the Shadow, I think we were sort of put on the front of that very early on. They, they, were, they were decimated. Perhaps even oh. to protect the other clan, uh, Pasak's clan. After the clan's leader died, he had two children, an older daughter that was one of the few people Teddy was close to, and then a, a younger son He was supposed to become the leader. He was proud and a little arrogant and just not suited for the role, and she killed him. And he was a strong enough guy, that's where she lost her right arm. So my character is Pasak, a genderqueer lioness from the Toltho clan. Uh, the Toltho clan being farmers and craftsmen. The Toltho clan created an incredible tapestry out of uh, Thaisen spider silk. And I think that they cut it in half after Toltho failed to offer adequate support to Thaisen in those early days when Thaisen yes. was decimated. Pasak, in their past, have been kind of a hedonist, doing whatever they want to do, trying to meet people, pursue beauty, have fun. And then the shadow came and they're having a really hard time coping with trying to be more serious. My character's name is Fee. She is a fox. That's her playbook. She is a cisgender woman. Fee has three brothers. Fifo and Fum. I think my brother Loma got married to Fum. Her clan is the Malthus clan. It's the mountain folk. And they are described as like rugged mountaineers, very survivalist focused. I think probably the most organized thing about their clan is their religious beliefs. They have a lot of very strong religious ties to nature. Foxes are pretty sacred. Higher ups in the religious order become one with the fox. 
Fi was originally chosen to be one of these, and she was not about that. That actually lost her family quite a bit of status. So she still has a lot of that that tie to the spirit world, but she's ex-acolyte. Your clan is the one that first encountered the shadow. There's a portion of them who, with the shadow coming, they fractured and fled, and they're scattered all over. Yeah, and Fi was definitely within that, yeah. that group. Uh, and then you have another subset who fell back to this mountain stronghold, and that's the headquarters of the Watch now. Uh, Can I suggest a name? Yes, please. Uh, the Foothold, and it's in the foothills. It is a year before the present day. It is the day the shadow came. Rain had drenched the mountains of the clan lands for the last three months. To clan Molthas, which calls the mountains home, the rainy season seems to drag on longer every year. They've been holed up inside of their small communities, which are sprinkled, separate, and distant across many mountainsides. The rains are especially troublesome to Fee, a girl of 17 who spends much of her time among the mountains, pines, and bushes. The rain always leaves her feeling vulnerable. Rain curtails her senses, impairing her vision while masking scents and tracks. Rain cuts off the disparate Molthus communities from each other, mountain passes become impassable, and what mutual aid exists in times of trouble, well, that too is washed away by the downpour. And this rainy season is no different in that way. Most of the clan's folk of her village called? Malthus. Oh. Malthus is your clan. Give me, oh, give me, shit. Give me a village I gotta name. come your, up with your... a name for the village? You sure do. Fuck. Um, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, in the village of fuck. Uh, yeah, that's where they bring all of the new uh, spouses that, from the other clans. Right. Uh, that sounds like the worst dating show ever. <laughs> I love the idea of a dating show just called Fuckville. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to your local town of Fuckville. Run your local brothers. town? Is there one for like every state? There's one for every clan. God. We've got 32 different flavors. Uh, what? Flavors? We're like the Baskin Robbins of fucking. <laughs> Baskin fucking? The Baskin Robbins of fucking. What's We're... my nickname back in college? The Baskin Robbins of fucking. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking Fuckin and that Robin? just hit me. <laughs> that just hit me for several points of psychic damage. <laughs> um, several hundred, you mean? Oh. Uh, we're going to call it Dolmont. Dolmont. I'm going to add that to my notes. I'm going to add it to my notes, too. The, the village of Dolmont has been isolated now for some time. The rains have just kept pouring, and the small well at the center of the village, their chief source of water pulling from deep within an aquifer in the mountains, 
actually has come close to overflowing a few times during the heavier rains. Um, it's been quite the storm. The ground is just absolutely suffused with water. I'm imagining that the village is surrounded by towering... Trees have been uprooted and at best cut in half uh, and filed to a point and lined up buried in the earth side by side to form a ring around the village. Uh, so the tallest structures in the village are still not as high as the wall which surrounds it. The palisade? Yes. Uh, and most of the time during the rainy season, just because it's really... <laughs> nobody likes to be out in the rain. Uh, it's really rough going to try to go anywhere. Uh, most people just stay within the village walls and eat reserves of whatever was collected the week before or the month before or the season before, as it, as it may be. And most of them just stay and shelter in place. But Fee, you've always had an adventurous spirit. And the day before... The day before everything happens, you were out in the woods with your brother Fum, uh, with Loma, Fum's husband, and the three of you were. Do you think you were hunting? Do you think you were gathering something? What were you? What were you out in the woods doing? We were picking blackberries. Picking blackberries in the rain. Um, so you were collecting blackberries the day before uh, with Fum and Loma, and nothing seemed at all strange about them or or really even about your community. Uh, it was... The isolation, I think, always takes its toll on people as they pull back into their homes, into their own family units. People... They, they pull away from each other, even in the village itself. And Fee. Fum and Loma are with you the day before. You wake up remembering the way the berries felt and made your hands just a little bit sticky and you, you put them underneath a large leaf that had gathered water and you rinsed your hands in it. You remember how Fum and Loma <laughs> got into a, a small small uh, berry throwing uh, uh, like, a, like snowballs at each other. Uh, just Just, you know, playing around out while collecting these. Little purple stains on their cheeks. Oh, yeah. Uh, on, on their clothes, uh, their tunics. Um, you remember it despite it being a rainy, soggy, overall isolated day. You felt connection and you felt family that day. And when you wake up the next morning, it's early. The sun is barely crested on the horizon. And you wake up to sounds of shouts, men and women screaming. And you run quickly out of your home and see, despite it having been doused in water for a week straight, the, the gates are ablaze. Uh, and there are people who are rushing to, to go to those gates and to secure them, uh, to try to put them out. They've been collecting water from the well at the center of town and they've been throwing it and throwing it and throwing it on the blaze. Um, but there are others who who you notice in the chaos. You hardly have time to register it as you step out. But there are others from your community who are fighting them, who are stopping them, who with, with makeshift farm tools, with blades, uh, with small arms, are stopping them with deadly force. Uh, and you see your clan 
overwhelmingly men consuming itself uh, in your village. How did Fee respond that day? Um, she tried to find Fom and Loma to ask them what was happening. I don't think that she found them and ended up finding a neighbor of theirs. Uh, an older woman who finally told her that they were losing the fight. And she panicked and she ran into the woods. Yeah, after having this brief aside uh, with with an elder of your village, uh, with I imagine that she was an old vixen, yeah, uh, one of your religious order, um, who you trusted implicitly. And when she said things looked bad, you believed her. It was bad to begin with because she was speaking to me at all. Yeah, after you had strained your relationship with them to to have her give me the time of day meant that things were extremely serious. And we see this shot, P, of you running from from her her home, which was uh, towards the middle of town, near that near that well. Uh, which I think, even with the the fire burning, which has now expanded, and several of the buildings of the village are on fire. Um, the rain has intensified, uh, and some of the water there from that well in the middle has started to overflow. Uh, and the ground is just soggy, and your feet are getting stuck, and and you you trip and you fall, and you turn to pull it out and you realize what you tripped over was a corpse and there were not just one but like dozens there and around you uh, and I think with shock with a little bit of despair you clamber to your feet and with renewed vigor just bolt run out of town and it's all a blur for you until as you get closer to the main gates, which have been burning, I think at this point have partially collapsed. That's how you're you're trying to run out. The village is in chaos. Uh, you just are are avoiding any fights that you see. Um, but as you make your way past the exit, lying just outside with his back to the outside of the gates, just sitting there against the wall, I think the fire hasn't quite made it to them yet. Uh, but they're they're leaning against it, and it very surely shortly will. Uh, clutching a, a gaping bloody wound uh, in their chest. You just see Loma standing there, gasping. I, I imagine, like, looking and seeing Loma and Fum just <laughs> laughing with each other, smearing blackberry juice on each other's noses. Mm-hmm. And then she looks another way, and she's outside the gates, and she's seeing Loma clutching his chest, clutching his shoulder. And there's, like, a smear of blood instead where the blackberry juice was. Mm-hmm. And did Fee stop? For a moment. And then she kept running. <sighs> and... Fee, you wake up having had this dream for the third time this week. Um, you're not waking up at home. You're waking up in a fairly dark room. It has a, a small 
uh, a small lantern still burning in the corner. But otherwise, there is no exterior light. Uh, it is just a, a room of maybe uh, 10 feet in diameter uh, with a bed that is just large enough for two. Uh, Pasak, you are there next to her when she wakes up. What do you do in this situation? She wakes up and uh, Fee, just lay out a little bit how you are, how you are feeling, how you appear. If it's the third time she's had this dream this week, I think that her eyes open very quickly. She's breathing hard because she's still imagining running. She sits up and clutches her knees to her chest and tries to take a deep breath. Here's my question, because <clears throat> it might matter to Pasak. Have you told Pasak what this recurring dream you're having is? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. okay. Because it, ima- it partially uh, it has to do with her leaving your brother. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that totally makes sense. I just I just wanted to know if Pasak would know that or not. Uh-huh. I think the most she's told you is that it's a, it's a dream about the first time I encountered the shadow. Uh, and an important uh, little little detail to add, uh, this being 12 months since, this is the year anniversary. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, this, God. This week okay, is well. a year since. No, no wonder I'm having this dream yeah. right. three mm-hmm. times this week. So, Fee woke up. In a, in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think that um, Pasak uh, will probably be woken up by the sudden movement. I like to imagine that because uh, Fee was running in the dream, that she was probably breathing heavily and, and maybe moving a bit. And I think that that may have woken up Pasak. And they were just like, like, oh my God, are you okay? Uh, like, not saying anything, but just like, there and then all of a sudden she wakes up and, and you know, leans forward and whatnot. And I think Pasak says, Love, you all right? You were you were breathing pretty heavy there. Uh, it, was, it was the dream again. The dream about the shadow. And instead of answering, I think Fee turns around and cuddles into Pasak. And Pasak will just wrap their arms around Fee and do a little gesture, just like rubbing their thumb affectionately on Fee's back. I do want to give you the opportunity here, Fee. Uh, open up to someone is a move. Yeah. If if you want to, but otherwise we can have this moment. We can move on. It would be very thematic to start off with open up to someone, huh? <laughs> Just a smidge. Yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do the open up to someone. How does that work again? Well, uh, so it is triggered by uh, you doing that. Um, so, so basically, when you open up to someone, you are lowering your defenses and making yourself emotionally vulnerable to someone you care about. Okay. And then uh, you roll for it, and uh, on a hit, your words and actions touch their heart. Uh, with a 10 plus, you choose two of the following. Seven to nine, you choose one. If they responded to your vulnerability with compassion or respect, they can also choose one for themselves. 
Okay. On a miss, you just don't get anything. The The information you give isn't necessarily received well, and that's yeah. then up to you then to, to role play. Mm-hmm. That's what I was imagining, too. Okay. So I think I think Fee would start off by saying, I want to tell you about it, but I'm afraid you'll hate me. What? Why would I hate you for a dream? <sighs> I never told you that I saw. I never told you what I saw. What what did you see? There were so many people who were fighting and dying and dead and I was just trying to trying to make it trying to get out of there I wasn't even thinking about it I I don't even think that I realized until I was I didn't see Fum, but I saw Loma. You saw Loma? Was he okay? What, what did... I mean, this was just a dream, right? She doesn't respond. Are you telling me... You've been dreaming about a memory where you saw my brother and you didn't tell me? You didn't do anything? At this point, I would like you to roll open up to someone. All right. Am I adding anything to that or is it just the... Uh, You roll with Valor. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not adding anything to that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. That's about right. That's a six. That is a six. Now, I will say, actually, uh, that means that you don't gain anything from this, but I will still interpret uh, the final line of this. Uh, If they responded to your vulnerability with compassion or respect, they can choose one for themselves as well. So I think on a miss, you don't gain any of the options, but Pasak has the option to still. (laughs) I don't know if Pasak can respond to this with compassion. They were... They were recruits together now they're initiates together um and and with the history of of fief uh, being found by pasak um i mean it's not like pasak would be unaware of the fact that they were related by marriage mm-hmm. and so so i guess the way the way that pasak will react in this moment depends entirely on because pasak would have asked about loma before what did you tell them yeah that's fair uh, I think that she probably would have told you that she didn't know what happened to either of them, that she couldn't find either of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Fasak's going to take that super well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I lied to you. <laughs> so give me... uh. Pasak's reaction. You know what happened 
to my brother this whole time. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened after. Did, and you didn't even try to help him or anything. I'm sorry. You better be sorry. I need a minute. And I think Pasak will just like walk out of the tent. Yeah. If Pasak heads out of the tent, what they're going to see is uh, Teddy with her arms crossed, looking very stern, looking like she has probably been there longer than either of them uh, would have liked. Uh, <laughs> just, just waiting. Uh, just waiting. Kind of like a spider. It's in the web. <laughs> Pasak is just going to give an uncharitable look at Teddy and say, good morning. Are you going to attempt to walk by her on your way out? Um, I, I think that I think that Pasak will stand and make eye contact, basically waiting for Teddy to say something. Um, Teddy is going to look over Pasak for a second and then just tell them... Uh, Wait there for a moment. Um, and she's going to shout into the tent, You, Fee, up, now. Out. It takes Fee a second, but she eventually pulls herself together. Yeah. Because, um, you know, bear in mind, Teddy is, is outranks both of you. Um, yep. So she is definitely... Um, I imagine, is it fair to say that both of you are probably a slightly bit disheveled looking for various reasons? <laughs> oh, surely. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Teddy is going to probably look both of you up and down like a very disappointed drill sergeant. Um, and take a beat. I will remind you that while it is not against watch protocol to fraternize... <laughs> It is incredibly disruptive if you cannot keep your volume down while you do so. <laughs> you can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. <laughs> it's an no, Abby you Abby can't. Q reference. No, you can't. <laughs> Sorry. You're fine. Now, I guess I am curious. Do either of them, do either of them seem embarrassed by that? Pasak is not embarrassed in the least. That's awesome. <laughs> Pasak is pissed, and Fee is uh, Fee is disassociating. I think at this point. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> disassociating from both ends of the candle. She is. She is looking at Teddy, but she has like a thousand yard stare happening. If Fee has that, I think Teddy is going to snap her fingers hard in front of your face to try to get your attention. So brusque. Yeah. Yes. I told you I was going to be an asshole. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, she'll she'll blink and she'll look at you more present. Oh, good. I was beginning to wonder if there was anything going on inside of there. She's going to look at both of you and say, This time, I allowed that to continue, hoping that the embarrassment of such a reveal would shape either of you into acting more correctly. Next time, I will rip the tent off. I could show you something correct if you'd like. Oh, I don't <laughs> think you're capable of doing much of anything correct at this point. I wonder if at this point, some other like recruits and initiates who are milling about the, yes. the encampment are watching from a distance, maybe a few whispering here and there. Oh, absolutely. No, th this is starting to attract attention. 
Uh, and Erdo, you notice this uh, because you uh, have just strolled into the campgrounds looking for uh, looking for your squad uh, because you've been called to to a meeting with the field marshal. What's the field marshal's name and pronouns? Uh, Deannis, she, her. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, field marshal uh. Deannis. Uh, and before we dig too deep into that, I want to ask a question to sort of lay the scene here. Um, so your the grounds which you are currently making camp on are within the foothold. So the foothold, as we discussed in our our prep, and will certainly be in the previously on in one way or another, uh, the foothold was originally a mountain stronghold that was a a mine and habitat uh, that was constructed by Clan Charsa, the mining clan. Uh, and they, once they find that a mine operation no longer is fruitful, uh, inevitably abandon their projects in search of the next one. Uh, so this stronghold had lied fallow here for years, generations, even before the shadow came at all. And when they were scattered as a result of the start of the shadow's invasion into these lands, uh, it was actually Clan uh, Molthas, the the mountaineers uh, who Fee hails from, that found this place, uh, a portion of them did, and settled there and took hold of it and guarded it from the shadow. And when the watch was being formed and needed a home, the foothold became that home. Uh, so it is this huge, you know, drilled into the mountain fortress and mine with twisting tunnels, uh, some of which uh, exit beyond that entrance that that is hidden up in the mountains to a valley between several mountains where a small community has formed and it grows larger every day and it is a bit oversettled at this point the foothold you know this centralized power of the watch being a popular place for refugees to come to from lands that have been overtaken by the shadow uh, those who managed to escape um so what I wanted to ask uh, you, since you're the first one to to approach and be looking at the scene, Erdo, what do you see in this encampment uh, and the surrounding more more established sort of farming operations and an almost village? Uh, what do you see here that is indicative of the fact that this war has gone beyond one of defense and is slowly pivoting to the offensive? I think what Erdo sees beyond the soldier tents and housing is people moving with purpose. Behind their eyes and movements, the people still hold that weariness that comes with fighting such an implacable foe as the shadow. But everyone knows exactly what to do. What were before disparate, connected, but not fully united clans are now working in tandem. You see a Dothas mystic passing down the rows of tents, blessing the watch as recruits begin training, officers begin planning. You see Morsh tradesfolk passing between the Toltho farmers and swiftly grabbing from them a broken hoe, giving them a new one, and talking with warriors about, oh, this one, I think we can reuse the steel on this for a spear, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it's not so much that 
these people are not still standing before a powerful and sometimes unknowable enemy. Um, it is that at this point, that enemy is more known by the day uh, and there's a greater awareness of what can be done to combat it. And I think that knowledge and recent successes of the watch are starting to give people some amount of hope again. And I think that, as you've put it, like that hope is there and that cooperation is there. Not perfect, but more than, certainly more than before the shadow came. I, I like to envision this. The United Clans and the Watch as a flower that budded in the first days of the war with the shadow and you can finally see that bud starting to open bloom and grow again well what you see before you right now is <laughs> your your subordinate officer dressing down your two most subordinate off or non-officers so <laughs> your two initiates your two initiates yeah your subordinates uh and it's starting to gather some attention. Uh, well, how does Erdo respond? <laughs> well, can I? Can I just just for a sort of immediate res thing? Uh, I think that um, uh, Pasak is going to quit back at Teddy. Oh, love, don't worry, don't give up on yourself. You're not too old to learn some new tricks. I think in the middle of that, while the two of you are, are uh, doing that back and forth, the kind of returns to staring off. Now she has noticed uh, a fox statue a little ways away, and she just says to herself, it's been a year. Oh, God. Oh. I, I'll just briefly give Erda, um, I won't say anything yet, but you can see in Teddy's face that this is where she is going to, sw- like, probably switch from quipping to, like, something more escalated than that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think Erdo walking up to this, uh, I imagine Teddy is, you know, fully dressed, ordered, not necessarily like wearing armor at the moment. And of course, you know, you have agency over your character. So correct me if I'm wrong. And where Fee and Pasak are disheveled, maybe half dressed. I think Erdo consummate to her rank is wearing her patchwork of plate and chain and leather armor already she has her spear arrow on her back with its glistening black spear tip lashed ferociously to the haft and she kind of walks up as if nothing is going on and points at several of the recruits nearby who are milling about and starting to gossip. You, you have training over in the blue field. You're 10 minutes late. Get going. And points to another group of recruits. You, your armor is a mess. Take care of it before your turn on the fields. Get going and is just... Parceling out orders to dispel things as quickly as she can before actually addressing her squad. <laughs> uh, one thing I'll briefly say, just uh, Teddy's armor, I think as we established, it looks more like clothes. So she pretty much, like, she only takes that off to, like, wash it clean and otherwise she pretty much always has it. Okay, on. perfect. 
I wanted to ask in this moment, uh, Dana, you said that for Teddy, uh, things especially were tar- starting to escalate for her between her and uh, Pasak. Are are you two like maybe even about to come to blows? Uh, if so, so, I this could is see what I'm trying to think on this because I don't, you know, I, I, I want to respect other players' boundaries and stuff. But like, if a soldier did this in the military, there's a decent chance they'd get the shit kicked out of him for it. Like, like I you mean, are you are talking up to a superior officer and like m- you know basically making sexual innuendos at them. Like that is not going to fucking fly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pasak is flirting with you, and that is their only intention. <laughs> Uh, that that's I mean, worse. I, you get how that's worse, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I I do. Okay, then I think that the the blood is starting to boil for Teddy. So Erdo, uh, in this, I'd like you to make a prevent bloodshed roll. Yes, oh, please, cool. please fail as, this. As please fail this. You as you try to to, to break down the situation. Roll with training plus. One. Yeah. Uh, so specifically, I'll read this for the audience. Uh, when you put yourself in harm's way to prevent bloodshed, roll with training. Uh, on a hit, you disarm the situation, but at a cost to yourself. On a 10 plus, you choose one. On a seven to nine, you choose two. Gotcha. Okay. Here goes. Oh. That is a straight up miss. That is a total of six. Boy, howdy. Uh, so next time we get to prevent bloodshed, I'll read what the options are because they don't matter because you don't get any of them. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, Teddy. Uh, your move. Uh, what does what does Teddy do to Pasak? <laughs> See, I don't think she's going to want to cause, um, like she's not going to want to lacerate or anything like that. What she's probably going to mm-hmm. do is is that I've mentioned that she has that blade on her right arm. It's currently sheathed, yeah. but it's still basically a big metal club, and she's just going to thunk. Um, it, as now, I, I imagine, you know, that uh, Pasak probably could have some agency in trying to stop this, but what Teddy's going to attempt to do is just thunk them really hard on the head. Like on top of the head? Yeah. I mean, or, you know, I don't know who's taller here, nor would I particularly care, because either way, Teddy can probably reach their arm over and just is going to very quickly and very suddenly just bang them on the head. I no, basically, basically it's the uh, it's the horny meme with the hammer, just bonk, no <laughs> horny. I imagine uh, Teddy would probably pick wherever would be the best place to hit to not cause actual damage, but would cause pain. Ex- yeah, she wants to basically get to put um, Pisak in a place where they can't retort anymore just because of like, you know, like a headache almost or just they're stunned. <laughs> where I think how I'll, how I'll specifically uh, describe this then is I think you go to just whack uh, Pisak and I think you do. Um, I think th- this was a miss, so this happens. Um, and I think it does maybe break the skin a little bit. I think the most... Uh, uh, Pasak, you have a fairly hard head. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no that wasn't already apparent. Uh, and I think more than more than stunned. I mean, you you take the blow that is not intended really to damage you, just just to stun you, just to <laughs> to bop you on the head for being go to go to a horny jail. Uh, just just bonk you. Uh, and I think it does break the skin though, uh, and you can feel like there at your forehead, just below your hairline, uh, where where. This blow has broke your skin, and again, uh, your role play here. But I think, I mean, this could damage your look. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think yes. that. I don't think actually, Pasak is upset about like being made to look unattractive because mm-hmm. of of like like. Uh, I think honestly, what I think Pasak would do at feeling like a trickle of blood down their forehead would like would like reach their hand up, wipe a little bit of it away, taste it. 
make a face like, hmm, not bad. And then just like try to look as badass as possible. Just like <laughs> completely like stalwart through it. Uh, Teddy's going to go in and try and hit them again. Fee's going to step in front of them. Uh, well, I'll take it then. Uh, give me give me a prevent bloodshed from Fee then. <laughs> oh, no. It's um, with, what, with training, you said? Uh, uh, this is with training, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a choice on that, do I? Nope. 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 Okay. That's pretty good. That is a, that's an eight. Uh, no, sorry. That's a seven. You have a minus one. A seven yeah. is still a seven to nine, though. Yes. Uh, so choose two of the following. You are the only one to bleed, suffer harm. You insult or offend someone. You're seen as taking sides or playing favorites. Or the instigator escapes any consequences or responsibility. Don't pick the last one, because I probably do deserve <laughs> some shit for this. Uh, let's go with you insult or offend someone, and you are seen as uh, playing favorites. Because this is a bad move. <laughs> Make fun of Fee's part. <laughs> yeah, uh, Fee, you, you step in between uh, with Teddy. And I think, Teddy, you... Because this does prevent the bloodshed. I think you do stop short. Um, you you weren't coming to strike. Yes. Uh, strike fee in this situation. You were going to strike. At, She's targeted. At, uh, Pathak. Yes. Uh, and and you're you of course have very high training. Uh, you are not going to deal a blow on someone unintentionally. Nope. Uh, that's that's not something you're going to do. The horny bat is only for people who are horny. I think <laughs> fee will uh, look Teddy very much in the face. This is the most present that Teddy has seen Fee in this conversation so far and she'll say there is more happening here than you understand uh, did, remind me did you pick offend someone as one of the things yes, yes. <laughs> oh boy I think Teddy just looked oh, oh now now do you want to pay attention is that is that all it took me trying to slap your friend over here we're in the middle of a war is, is, is me beating up on your partner is that all it's going to take to get you to focus can Erdo yeah, I think this is a good time for Erdo. <laughs> yeah. Erdo I think you have just finished shooing off the rest of the people. Uh, you finally have sort of clear space with your squad here by the tent. Gotcha. So Erdo finished with gesticulating and tossing orders to disperse the recruits, turns on her plate greaves, takes two thick steps over and claps a heavy hand because currently it's Teddy next to Fee and says, This stops now. We've been summoned by the marshal. All of you, 15 minutes from now. And she points at Fee and Pasak. Need to be ready before me in parade formation at the apex. Do you understand? Understood. Understood. And then she softens a bit, drops her hands and says, We've all been through a lot, but we're close to making things better. Let's not lose ourselves before we get there. Teddy has already started to walk off to get ready. Erdo doesn't pay that any mind. Okay, she just, knows just for Teddy's flavor. professional. And this is Teddy's not sticking around for a pep talk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Erdo might chat with Teddy later, but they've worked together a 
enough now that there's an understanding there. So uh, before we do shift scene, uh, I would like both Pasak and Fee to take one weary. Oh, That's reasonable. Uh, after, after your opening up earlier and everything that came from it. And take minus one horny because it has been bonked out of you. <laughs> <laughs> minus one horny. Yeah, minus one to your horny stat, please. <laughs> Ongoing. <laughs> and actually, question. Um, actually, I guess it might make sense that their tent is shared because the area of the valley behind the foothold isn't large. So I doubt each soldier has their own tent. Uh, I... I imagine that it is not uncommon for for soldiers to double up. I do not believe they were supposed to have been in the same tent, but they sure ended up there together. Gotcha. Now I I'm think... curious where, like, whoever's tent that was, where their their bunk mate and uh, swap or whatever. <laughs> Pasak just charmed them into using their tent. Yes, tent, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly, exactly what happened. <laughs> um, I think as. Pasak and Fee get back into the tent to hopefully prepare and get ready on time. She sighs, turns on her heel to walk towards the fortress proper, and mutters, They better be ready for this. Hi there. It's your MC, David, here with some thanks and announcements today. This game was incredible to run, and that is entirely thanks to our amazing cast. Emma, Jell, Nix, and Dana gave me their time and beautiful performances, and I cannot thank them enough. Dana also wrote all of the music used in today's episode, all while also working on her 11 out of 10 Monster of the Week podcast, Meddling with Monsters. So an extra special shout out and thanks to her for helping me with this episode. I think it's our strongest to date, and it wouldn't have been nearly as compelling without her help. This whole arc also wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the game The Watch by Ash Creeter. I gushed about it some in the setup, but having played it now, I really can't oversell just how thoughtful and elegant the whole system is. Go pick up a copy and play it for yourself. You will not be disappointed. I'd also like to introduce you today to a new podcast by the name of The Tabletop Tales. They launched around the same time we did at the end of 2020, with an actual play show loosely based on D&D and strongly based on friendship and storytelling. With solid mastering and a warm and inviting soundtrack, the show is a delight to listen to. Stick around and check out their promo at the end of our episode today. And catch up on their Instagram, where they regularly do quizzes, trivia, and giveaways. And hey, if you want to stay on top of all things TOTA, be sure to follow us on Twitter or join us and lots of other great podcasts on the Cast Junkie Discord server. As always, there are links to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to our show. I hope you continue to enjoy today's episode. I'll see you next time. I, I think I like us cutting from there to a scene then just outside of the chambers of the of the field marshal. Yeah, so I'll, I'll paint this scene for us. The tents and the encampment of the watch troops makes up the rearmost 
portion of the valley community in the foothold. Um, it is what's closest to the entrance to the rear entrance of the mines, which make up the foothold itself of the of the mines and greater sort of embedded stronghold. And we cut from our scene there at the tents at the encampment overlooking the rest of the valley. Uh, you you I think uh, earlier you said to meet at the apex. Uh, is that that right? Yes, I was thinking of the apex being like essentially the upper layer of the foothold, kind of with an outlook over the valley where a lot of the higher command tends to situate and plan. Yeah, no, I I really like that a lot. Um, So there's one way to access the apex, uh, and that is through the inside of the foothold complex. Um, And so I think we cut from our scene there out in in the daylight outside by the tents. Uh, We cut inside to dim light in a hallway that is amply sized but still still manages to be claustrophobic seeing as there are no windows there are torches mounted on the walls and the walls themselves are smooth and well cared for uh these are not the rough hewn walls that make up many of the mine tunnels of the foothold rather this is this is the uppermost reaches of the stronghold that was built here and it was built by you know, professionals at, at digging in the ground, professionals at building in the earth. Uh, and the the linearity, the, the clean lines of this hallway, I think, demonstrate that. Um, there is one feature, though, that makes this a little bit distinct. Uh, and that is that periodically there are wide slits, uh, wide enough that you could probably fit a, a smaller person through, um, where there is actually light coming through from above. Uh, there are channels, and this is this is throughout the complex. There have been channels that have been cut through, uh, and mirrors that have been placed. And this was generations ago. At this point, it's just upkeep, keeping them running, uh, that filter both fresh air and daylight into the foothold. And I say filter; it is not perfect daylight that is being brought through these slits, but there is a soft glow that emanates from them. And even should these torches be put out, people can still make their way down these halls, provided it is daylight outside and provided it is making it to wherever that aperture finds itself uh, outside high in the mountains. This is cool. Thank you. Uh, I would have to assume that uh, they're also designed so that like they won't be like if it's like pouring rain it's not gonna just like pour rain they've got rain catchers surely built yeah in. yeah, yeah the, absolutely i uh, imagine the channels are set such that the mirrors are in the middle of kind of an open space around which rain will fall and channel actually what if the uh rainwater that was caught through these channels uh was taken down like its own system to basically an aquifer under I yeah. mean, yeah, oh, it, it, it would be pretty easy to divert it uh, midway because light is going to pass over gaps. Water is going to be gravity. Right. I think the the foothold, especially recruits, kind of like coming here despite coming here for boot camp because running water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like trivially, just water coming down the mountain and tanks higher up the foothold. Dang, there you go. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of old technology that isn't necessarily 100% reliable. But it was made to work at the time, and with a little bit of elbow grease, it stays that way or or close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and here at the apex, which is closest to the surface, that light that does trickle through is perhaps even more strong. Uh, it's it's less than just like the, the soft glow of daylight. In some places, I think you can even catch a, a clean ray or two that has made its way through the the bouncing mirrors 
uh, here into this hallway. And there are still torches to light it to provide a, a fuller glow. But because of that, I think the foothold uh, still, on brighter days like today, doesn't feel quite so closed in. I think it feels more secure and less isolated. Um, so you all are here together uh, in this hallway before a large set of double doors. Currently, there is a meeting being held within, uh, and you are you have been requested for an audience with the field marshal, but that doesn't mean the field marshal doesn't have other things to attend to. Mm -hmm. uh, so you four are standing here outside these doors, uh, and there is... Uh, I imagine there's a few people standing as guards, uh, but there's one who is like the spokesperson who's managing people going into and out of these chambers. Uh, they are one of the chief attendants to Deannis. They are a... Uh, someone who's familiar with the the order here, what what level would they probably be? There would be not necessarily just below, maybe a rank or two below the field marshal, and they serve as like an attendant to uh, her. They they might be a lieutenant commander. Okay. Um, that's three ranks below field marshal. Okay, I think I'm happy with lieutenant commander. Uh, so lieutenant commander Iga of of Tolfo actually mm. uh, s serves as one of the direct reports to uh, field marshal DNS. And they and I'm they do use they them pronouns. Uh, I realize now that we're sort of overlapping them with stuff with uh, Pasek, but hey, there's lots of gender queer folks. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, this is a game that no, focuses there's on only those one they them pronoun, and we all have to share. And mom, mom said, said it was my turn, turn on, on the yes, gender. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and it was mom. <laughs> it's not they them. It's me, me, me. Oh, <laughs> me, myself, and I. Uh, that might be friends. something for socks. <laughs> I don't think Pasek would be that whiny. Yeah, that's fair. So, so... <laughs> uh, that's going in the blooper reel. Iga, Iga is uh, holding on to the... It's their turn with the they-them pronouns. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but they, they do identify with they-them. Um, and uh, Iga has a almost, like, wraith-like build. Uh, they're, they're very, very bony, very thin, and very tall. Uh, I think, you know... Clocking in certainly above each of you, I think Fee is probably shortest, uh, like head and shoulders above Fee. Um, and well, hold on, sorry, I thought Fee was tall. Is that that's true? Actually, oh, I was Fee playing tall? a tall character. What us. Emma playing a tall character? I know this there, just never that's, happened. That's why I remembered it. <laughs> I just always assume Emma's Emma's character is the shortest. Because <laughs> usually my character okay. is the shortest. Well, then I think uh, it is surprising then that they are a full head taller than Fee. And Iga uh, Iga wears a pair of spectacles, uh, and they adjust them slightly as as you all come up. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Uh, you all have business with the field marshal? Yes, we were summoned for an audience. Uh, I would like to see a copy of your orders. Erdo retrieves from pouch a letter with a wax seal on it, now broken because she read the orders, and hands it to Iga. Uh, Iga takes it from your hands and inspects it like drops their, their glasses further down the bridge of their nose and reads over it uh, very quickly, snaps it back closed, hands it back to you with a flick of their wrist. Well, I suppose that checks out. Uh, the field marshal, I think, is just finishing up uh, a meeting with some of the, the council folk. As as soon as that wraps up, I'll, I'll let you right in. And uh, they give a little wave of their hand, indicated that you should step back and like wait in the hallway there. 
Erdo nods, takes one step back, holds her arms behind herself, a uh, parade rest formation, and looks to her squad to make sure that they're doing the same. Teddy is. Oh, we're not doing the same. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that Pasak will probably begrudgingly. Erdo looks to Fee yeah. and says, I know we're all having hard days. Discipline is still important. Fee uh, stops playing with like the hem of her shirt and uh, slowly puts herself into parade formation. Thank you. Yeah, the, the four of you stand at attention, and you do not have very long to wait. Um, after uh, Iga has instructed you to stand there in the hallway, it's no more than uh, three or five minutes before the two large doors behind them uh, creak open loudly, and uh, the shuffling of many feet, six or seven of the uh, upper upper echelon of the watch. Um, or I guess it's, it's more accurate to say upper echelon of the United Clans. Uh, leave. I'm gonna. Oh, so there are some politicians in this mix. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so I, I would like you. The clans have dissolved, and the watch is now the formal military order that unites them. Um, but I think there is still some delineation between the military complex of the watch and the clan management. Because um, though the boundaries between the clans have been dissolved, uh, this this world is absolutely still one rife with clan politics. Um, and I think. A meeting has just occurred where a lot of that was going on. Mm-hmm. And it would be especially bad fighting a foe like the Shadow if the watch fell into something like, in our history, how Prussia was at times described as an army with a state rather than a state with an army. Mm. And I, I guess another thing I would add, I would imagine part of the negotiations would have been some sort of representatory system for each of the clans, like whether that is a formal re-election thing or just, okay, if we're all going to come together, each of us is going to get a person on this mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, I can't absolutely. imagine it would go without that. Uh, and in fact, uh, Teddy, you see oh, one, in, you see someone yep. who immediately you recognize. as soon as I said this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Parda, your, your longtime friend uh, and the... The woman who you set up to lead your clan yep. uh, after it was decimated, yep. uh, more than decimated, because decimation is by a tenth. Uh, your clan was reduced to, I, I think we described like less than a third of its original size. Yes. Inverse decimation? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Set up is also being very kind and a very nonviolent descriptor of what occurred, but yes. Yes. Uh, and your relationship, I believe we would now describe as strained. At best, yes. At best, This yeah. is going to be really interesting. Uh, and I think uh, Parda, who is like chatting with one of the other, uh, you know, one of the other clans folk, I think this meeting has gone fairly well from from their perspective. You can, you can tell that the mood seems not light. This has been a, a meeting around, you know, military efforts. But there is some level of confidence with these people exiting the room. They're, they're, Heads are held higher, their shoulders are erect. Everyone, like there are a few people who are laughing uh, as they chat, as they leave, uh, which is clear evidence that whatever's gone on inside hasn't been the most somber. Uh, And I think Parda, uh, like she casts her head to the side and and notices you standing there in the hallway and she pauses for a moment. She she, like, her, her whole body just stops when she sees you there. 
Uh, and I think she says a, a word aside to who, whoever she was talking to and then uh, steps out of the receding party of, of clansfolk uh, and walks over to you, Teddy. Now, question that I have. Yeah. Would Teddy have known... Teddy would know that she's a member of the council, so she would have not been yeah. totally 100% thrown off to see her, right? It's not going to be a massive shock. Yeah, I, I think... I think it's always uh, a, a bit surprising to run into someone that you know, especially when you have a strained relationship, when you sure. aren't like, when you didn't know they were going to be there. I think, is it surprising to find her here? No, but it's like, it's like happening to, happening to run into an ex who lives in the same town at the local Target. Yeah, like, well, because uh, yeah. Teddy would have heard that the council was there and she would know that Parda was on the council. So I imagine she's yeah. had like a little bit of time to brace herself. Yeah. But it's probably, I think even the others might notice um, her stance. You know, she remains in a professional stance, but even as they've been waiting, as soon as it's clear who might be out there, there's just a little bit more tension to mm -hmm. her her body language. Yeah, uh, you've you. I think there's a little bit of tension in both of you uh, yeah, as yeah. as she walks over, yeah, uh, and approaches you, Teddy. And I think she, seeing the four of you sort of lined up there together, I think she she makes a dismissive gesture with her hand, indicating that you are to be at ease. Uh, and though she does not outrank you in the military sense, I think she still, like by order of hierarchy, does outrank you, uh, and directs you all to be at ease and then she gestures for the three of you to to step a little bit further down the hall while she talks with Teddy for a moment. Erdo I think Erdo gives a look then looks to Teddy cuz they've been serving together long enough that, you know, it's not telepathic communication, but there's a uh, some communication that can just be had through glances and subtle sure, shifts in sure. posture. Is Erdo checking to see, like, is Teddy okay, or...? Erdo's checking to see if Teddy is consenting to this interaction, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say this will probably be the only time in the entire story where Teddy may seem slightly uh, disappointed that Pasak is leaving and leaving them alone. Um, <laughs> but uh, she gives... You can tell, because you spend enough time with her, that there is a lot of rapid-fire mental calculations going on in her head right now, and then eventually it settles, and she just gives you, like, the slightest of, like, nods or glances. It's like, yeah. Erdo returns it and gestures for Fee and Pasak to join her, still at parade rest, arms behind the back, but off to the other side of the hall, so as to give... A little room. If they speak up, they'll hear, but if they're whispering, Erdo and the others probably won't. Yeah, I like the idea that you you give the space that she requests, but you do not go at ease. Like, <laughs> uh, Also, Pasak is absolutely going to be straining to hear this conversation. Yeah, I figured. Yes. <laughs> Seems about right. If this were a comic, I'm imagining like Erdo is like perfectly in position and on a line. Uh, Fee is doing what Fee does, and Sock <laughs> is, like, noticeably leaning forward. So Can I, uh, just as, as I pass Teddy, I just hand her, like, a little, like, charm that looks like a little carved sun as she just continues on. Teddy looks at it kind of confused, like, why the fuck are you giving me this? 
Yeah. And then, but but doesn't like doesn't necessarily. She's got bigger problems right now. She, she sort of does tuck it in a pouch somewhere, not to you know, not a complete dick or just gonna toss it away. But she does look like like what what the fuck? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <clears throat> I, I just love little moments of Fee uh, administering little religious rites. <laughs> and to be clear, even if Teddy understood, I don't know that she 100% under. She understands enough of the significance to know it's a charm. It's not that she doesn't know what it's for. It's more just like, why? Like, I don't need this. What are uh, you doing? Just to add a, just to add a layer to this, uh, I think it is a charm uh, that is is used for like, I think it's a charm that's used for luck in battle. And I think it's also one that's administered uh, to bodies as part of funeral rites. <laughs> Uh, and, and you're not yeah, like sure that. you're not sure which one she just gave it to for. Now, I'm out of just curiosity, Fee, would any of your body language is, it, is this meant to be helpful or a slight? This is but, definitely meant to be helpful. Okay. She's okay. She's just kind of like, all right, good luck, friend. Yeah, okay. if it was meant to be a slight, you would get a glare. In this case, you just more get no. a little bit of confusion. <laughs> I love that. I love the, just the weird mysterious. <laughs> uh, so pulling us, pulling us back together here. Parta stands in front of you. Uh, and now that uh, onlookers have been cleared, uh, I think Iga is tapping uh, their foot impatiently by the doorway. Uh, uh, definitely, they're the sort of person who's annoyed by the fact that, you know, you all are delayed in your entry to the chambers. Iga doesn't like disruptions to the plan. <laughs> True. Teddy doesn't either, but here she is. All right. <laughs> so Iga, Iga stands by the doorway, tapping their foot impatiently. They're the kind of person who doesn't like to be delayed like this, but also knows that they are outranked in this moment uh, and is willing to wait for a while uh, while this discussion happens. And so uh, Parta looks up at, or looks down, I should say. I imagine that she's probably a bit taller than you. Parta, let's describe her for a moment. Parta, she's not frail like like Iga seems. No. Uh, Parta is, of course, of Clan Thaisen, uh, yep. a clan which has sort of Spartan philosophies. Yep. She she isn't like a a brick shit house, but no. she she's got like she has thick thick arms and legs. Yep. And I I imagine that a very common uh, feature of of people from Clan Thaisen. Uh, not like a perpetual scowl, uh, but like you you see the weight of the war in in her eyes. Yeah, I think even pre-war, right? We weren't exactly yeah. a frivolous folk, so it hasn't changed. For nothing, sure. Nothing has changed yeah. in that department for sure. And and I, I know that specifically you you had thought that one of the qualities that would make her good for leading was that she was sensible and yes. she was she was you thought like reliable in a crisis. Yep. Um, and at this point, she has seen many crises in her yep. position. Um, and in this last year, you know, only only one year has passed. But I think you you see the gray hairs in her head, and you see the lines in her face that indicate that she has taken those experiences. Yeah. Teddy probably feels a mix of. Uh, and I don't know how much it shows on her face, maybe a little bit, and definitely more to part of would know how to read it, that's for sure. Um, there is a mix of sadness at that, or maybe like a little bit of maybe guilt, probably more than anything else. And also, I don't even want to say satisfaction, but there is, I imagine that she's probably done a good job, but Teddy probably feels, you know, at least in that regard, that she made the right choice. 
that's what she's telling herself at least to, to sort of justify and you know rationalize it yeah P- Parta looks tired um and Parta with there, there's a there's a thin line across her mouth uh and it's not it's nothing like a smile uh but I think you you can tell that it's as close as she she makes at least for you these days yeah. um and uh, she she greets you, Teddy. Hello, Potter. <sighs> I'm uh, surprised that your group was the first called up. Well, it's been a year of surprises, hasn't it? One after another. Some things, or people at least, never change. I hope you are happy with your, she gestures, uh, with your current squad. I have done you the favor in there of securing you a meaningless mission. Interesting. A meaningless mission. That's what she says. That's what she says. Interesting. Oh, yeah. This is what, this is what's going to happen when she says, meaningless mission is that Teddy is going to look not at Erdo because she respects Erdo um, but look at the other two and then look back to Parda and be like I might be for the best I believe that's all they're going to be capable of at the moment that that thin line fades down into a, a complete frown uh, and she responds by uh, like reaching into her pocket uh, and pulling out a small, small document. Uh, it's, it's been folded and unfolded several times. Mm. Um, the, the lines on it are, are well-worn and creased. Um, and she, she takes a look at it and like looks up at you. I'm actually, I, I'm glad you're here despite everything. After you complete, after assuming you complete this mission, I would like to see you when you return. Uh, does she offer the paper to her? Is that what's happening? She she's just holding it like she's consulting it. Like there is, I, I think whatever this paper is is relevant to what she has to talk to you about. Okay. Um. Teddy does look at the paper. Is there anything she can... Can I try to figure out what it is? Would I know what it is? So I think uh, one thing you would note about it is that uh, I, I described it as being a paper. Um, I, I describe it that way because there is text upon it. Um, but I think you can actually, on closer inspection, see that it's more of a, of a bit of cloth. Oh. So I would know... Is this, is this part of the tapestry? Is that what I would know? Or it no? could be. Okay. Is there any way... I? I Teddy is actually probably a little curious because this is the one important person in her life. So she is curious what this document is. So if there's anything else she can gain by looking over it subtly, if possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you can tell that um, when I described it as being like paper, it is both like paper and like cloth. I think that the tapestry is just pure spider, spider silk. You would know that this is not a piece of the tapestry. Okay. Um, however, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analog. Uh, there, there's lots of older parchments that are in part made with strands of of cotton or mm-hmm. oh, or yeah. other fibrous strings, uh, and 
I think that kind of paper is generally not used by the watch. That's a lot of resources to burn on something that I, I imagine is already fairly precious. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just not it's not a practice they would probably use. Um, but this is definitely a very fibrous paper, and I think your immediate hunch is because, of course, uh, she is also from your clan, uh, that those fibers are probably spider silk. Um, which is itself uh, its own commodity right now. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, if that's all she's going to get looking over it, she's going to you know, make a mental note of that and then look up at Parda. And when Parda says, you know, I'd like to see you again, she'll just nod and go, understood. She she takes a step as if she's walking away and then she throws her head back over her shoulder to to look at you, almost like she's looking at you like one last time. I think there's always the chance that it is, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think I think she does that, and then she says, "It's it may be meaningless in the context of this conflict, but keep your eyes peeled. You know better than anyone that the shadow is always waiting." Understood. Uh, and she walks out. Uh, she walks down the hallway. Does she walk down the hallway away from us or toward us? Like, I, I, I think she passes the three of you uh, following the group of clansfolk that had just left. Okay. Fee nods to her and says, May your web catch many treasures. Oh, that's adorable. I do love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pasak just kind of makes flirty eyes because... <laughs> I thought we had minus one horny on going. <laughs> I, joking, I, I, I have a guess that Pasak has the very high horny, and so that's not. Yeah, that's My horny stat is one billion. It is, <laughs> it's, well, it's now nine hundred ninety-nine million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Since you gave me a minus one, so wow, that, that was quite a blow to I, the horny. I got a lot of wow. bonks left in this thing. There's enough game yeah. left on to track that down. Anyway, <laughs> uh. Iga, who's been so patiently waiting uh, for for this conversation to wrap up, and by so patiently, I definitely mean impatiently waiting, uh, finally, like, snaps their fingers and, like, steps to the side uh, at attention and directs the four of you into the room. Erdo nods. First, gets back into formation with Teddy and begins striding into the room, presumably with the others following. Yeah, we do that. We do that. episode is brought to you by The Tabletop Tales, a comedy storytelling and fantasy role-playing podcast. Journey into the fantastic land of Harborn alongside four unlikely heroes. Hello! I'm Captain Glonk Dawkins. Uh, Willow Willowbelly. You, you might have heard of me. People call me the Beast. My name is Crispin of the Wisperix Clan. What's your name? Seth. Nice. I guess. Join them! on their adventure to fulfill an ancient prophecy known as the quest for the best song. But be wary, 
for along the way we shall face terrifying foes in scenarios as epic as they are ridiculous. So all of the animals, they all just start to turn around and rush off the ship. Rise, my children! (laughs) Rise! Well, we are going to be, I say, a great generation! The wind just, like, flows and rushes behind you as more lightning comes out of nowhere. But you've made it to the center. We did it, boys! Oh, my God! With a fully sound-designed world, original score, and energetic cast, you'll find yourself immersed in the magic of Harborn in no time at all. So join us on the quest for the best song by searching for the Tabletop Tales wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or visit our website, www.thetabletoptales.com. We hope you will join us at the Tabletop. <laughs>